Doc Ryan, Expedition 44, here with my good friend Matt, and we started teaching a class on Job last night, so I thought today we would kind of bring that to the video world and bring it together. I've talked in a few other videos about Job, but this is going to be a five-week series of which we're going to break down the book in a little bit more detail. So, to get started, Matt, tell us a little bit about the preface or the themes of Job. I think that the Bible Project, if you ever watched their video, they do a great job of summarizing it. So if we take like four basic points off of what they said, um, the book of Job is about exploring God's character. So thinking appropriately about God, especially when disaster and trials hit. Yep. Um, it's also about the policy of righteousness um, linked to, to blessings. Yeah. And the third thing is reasons for righteousness and not suffering. And the fact that God is wise and not all of the other characters in the story always are in the That's book right. of Job. Yeah. So Matt mentioned the Bible Project. It's probably our all-time favorite Bible thing. We're just both big fans. So if you guys are listening, keep up the great work. Um, the other thing we're going to reference in here is uh, John Walton. When I went to Moody years ago, I studied under Walton. And when you look at theology, there tends to be a lot of people that write about a lot of different things. So typically, if you're looking into one one thing about theology, you can find a whole lot of people that make some pretty significant contributions. And right now, uh, John Walton is just doing some amazing things in the book of Job. So if you want to dive deeper after watching our series of videos, that would be the direction that we would send you on. So the first thing we want to dive into is when you read Job 1, if you haven't read Job 1, go ahead and pause this video and read Job 1, or you're gonna be a little bit lost here, and read it carefully and slowly. But we see that um, a lot of people that know the story of Job, they're, they're basing their whole premise on chapters one and two. They've yep. kind of read the first couple of chapters, and then the rest of the book kind of goes on to give clarity to chapters one and two, and people don't necessarily read the whole thing, so they interpret this book as if Job is on trial, but that's really not the case. No, we see more that um, it's, God's policies that are on trial, not his character, but his right, policies. Right, and so we're not sure Job understands this. We kind of see Job is, is almost like trying to defend himself in a courtroom in the later mm -hmm. chapters and things like that. And it, it almost, you know, God is speaking here and Job is down here and it's almost like there's this disconnect because God has already said, Job, you're righteous. Yeah. And, and yet at the same time, Job and his friends are just trying to figure this whole thing out. And so what it gives us a picture into is the eyes of God and the eyes of man. That man sees these things very differently than God sees it. In this whole book, you kind of have Job and his friends trying to figure it out when, when God's mind is kind of someplace different than where they are. What is the policy? What's happening? Kind of describe the situation. Well, if you look at wisdom literature, you have the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job are kind of our wisdom corpus. In the book of Proverbs, and also a lot throughout the Torah, you see this principle of if you are righteous, then you are blessed with basically health and wealth. Yeah. And I mean, you see that a lot through the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I mean, Abraham, that's yeah. the, the huge story basically is follow me, be, be righteous and holy, and you will be blessed. And so when we study kind of the Old Testament, it's very much what Matt said, health and wealth. And you see this with those preachers today that they bring that Old Testament idea into thought. And so... Is that true? And so we kind of have this idea of this council meeting. What is this? What's going on? So we made a video before on our Deuteronomy 32 worldview. We kind of got from Michael Heiser and John Walton and yep. a bunch of other Old Testament scholars. This was a huge view out there in the Israelite mindset. So we have this 
heavenly council meeting of spiritual beings with God, and we have the Satan, the challenger. Um, now, when Matt says this, you got to kind of take a step back because usually when we say Satan in our kind of evangelical worlds, you kind of go right to this cosmic evil person that is trying to cause us individually to sin over and over and over. Is that who this is talking about? I mean, it could be, but really it's um, in Hebrew Hasatan, which is a title. It's basically the, the challenger, the prosecuting attorney. It's more of a, a job description than yeah. it is of an actual person. And this is in the presence of God at this point. And so when you think of it that way, you have to say, who is this person and why is he here? And so at this point, it gets a little bit problematic because if this is the cosmic person of the New Testament that we call Satan, would he be in what seems to be the heavenly presence of God? And so right away, it raises a few oh, red flags. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. How's it going, Jonathan? It's all right. Come on, bud. You're trying to film something. So you're asking the question, is this the, the, the title, or maybe even we say the person of the New Testament Satan figure, or is this somebody else? So when you're looking at it in Hebrew, it just uses kind of the word accuser or challenger like Matt said. And so do we know if this is that, that cosmic evil person? It doesn't necessarily come right out and say it. Yeah, yeah. It leaves you wondering, is, is this that person? If it is that person, how does he get to be in the presence of God? Now, what's the other angle that you take on this? It could just be another person, a heavenly being, that is used in that same title to say they're raising a question or maybe an accusation of the policy of God. It's not necessarily the Satan figure in here. Now, that sounds funny to a lot of people. I mean, I'm, I'm, if you're watching this, you're probably looking at me crazy if you've never heard this before. But there's other places in the Bible that kind of describe it this way. So Matt, tell us a little yeah. bit about that. So looking in the book of Numbers, the story of Balaam, you know, Balaam and the talking donkey. Yeah. So um, the angel of the Lord is called a Hasatan. Yeah. A challenger. Uh, yeah. So, and so, so you so, look at this and it's the angel of the Lord and they refer yeah, to it, it in the same yeah, way. Yeah, because of the action that he's taking against Balaam. We don't really know. And a lot of people are very quick to just call this Satan because the translations of the New Testament write it that way, yep. but it's not necessarily saying that this is the evil person that we might make it out to be. So there's a few other things that we want to talk about. There's, there's some things throughout the book where we hear these speeches and people say things that sound really, really good. And I've actually heard people quote them from mm -hmm. the Bible before that the Bible says this, and they're not really good advice or good things when it comes down to it. They might not necessarily be true. Yeah, Job's um, friends try to give him advice quite often. And when we get to the end of Job, we see that God rebukes them and Job has to basically make a sacrifice yeah. for their forgiveness. So this happens a lot in the Bible where you're reading something that man says. And in our, in our kind of Americanized minds or westernized cultural view, it's like, we're attributing that to truth in the Bible when the Bible doesn't necessarily attribute it to truth. Yeah. And so just a, a quick example, since we're kind of just in chapter one here is chapter 116 says, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Now, this is interesting because this is 
a narrative of what somebody says they think happened. This isn't necessarily God or truth saying this is what happened. This is their, their perception of what happened. So did God send fire from heaven is the question. It's not actually saying that God did that. God may have done that. Yeah. We don't know. And so it could be tipping us off to the nature of God, but it's not necessarily saying that he did that. We see that in the speeches later too, that people are saying all this stuff. Now, most of them later are rebuked and God says that's not correct. Yeah. But still, like I said, we kind of read some of this stuff and we attribute that to what people say the Bible says when it, it does say it, but it's not saying that this is what God says. All right, so the next question we have to ask is why Job? I think a lot of times when people read this, they kind of put themselves in the place of Job and they ask the question, does God act similarly in my life? And that's one of the questions that we're going to seek to answer over this five-week series. But it's not really a great question. Why isn't it a great question? Yeah, so the reason that the Satan and even God brings up Job is because he is the most righteous person on the earth. Yes. And maybe of all times. Yeah. I mean, we kind of say if there was going to be a person, like, this is who the story is about. Yeah. It's like the cream of the crop yeah. is what the policy is going after. So you mentioned the policy is on trial. Describe that a little bit. What What is the policy? The challenger brings this up. And, you know, even when you're reading it in the book of Job, a lot of people miss this. And it's funny because the whole book is about this policy and people don't even necessarily get that. So break it down a little bit and explain what the policy is that's in question. All right. So the challenger brings up this question, does Job serve God for nothing? And so we see Job is righteous and because he's righteous, he, God is rewarding him with blessings. So, but the challenger is like, if you take away all those blessings, it's likely that Job's going to curse you to yeah. your face. Cause so Job's just playing the game uh, so that he can get more stuff. And we don't necessarily know the time or place. We're going to get to that point. But one of the things about ancient people is their whole life kind of rotated around the deities. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you were believed to be serving some deity. You were there to make their life easier, worshipful, something else like that. And so when you put this in that context of that ancient Eastern idea, the challenger is kind of saying to, to God in this hand, like, you know, why is, why is he serving you and what is this about? Yeah, we see that Yahweh is a relational God and I believe the challenger is almost pointing out there that he's only serving you not to be in a relationship with you or to worship you, but just to get stuff. Yeah, so it's kind of this circular relationship is mm -hmm. what he's saying. So you want people to follow you, to worship you, to be in relationship with you, but if you're going to bless them in an effort for what they've done, then that doesn't really work is kind of what he's yeah. saying. So, you know, the idea is you want people to freely love you with all of their hearts, but if they're freely loving you because of material ties, then that's going to be a problem. And so oftentimes this is another reason why, you know, some people don't necessarily view this as the cosmic evil deity of Satan because it's actually a really good point. Yeah, it's not an evil question. Yeah, and so it's, it's a very good question. You see this, you know, ramifications of this throughout the Old Testament in several different places where, you know, it's, it's kind of talking about this kind of health and wealth prosperity of righteousness and kind of brought into question a couple times in the text. It is. 
So we get to this, and then what's interesting is you have the accuser in the first two chapters bringing this up, and then later we really don't hear about the, this person at no. all. But it comes up again, and what's interesting is Job actually brings it up with God, but he brings it up a little bit differently. He says, is it fair that the righteousness suffer? Mm -hmm. It's a very similar question on the policy of God. It's just going the other way. Yeah. So we see kind of this dullness, and anytime you see this happen, it's significant. So we mention all, oftentimes that when you witness the fall, it's a dual fall. You see the fall yeah. of man, but also the fall of, of dual spiritual um, entities falling at the same time. Yeah. And so numbers are significant in the Bible, and that should key you off that, you know, in the Bible, when you see two things kind of mirroring each other like that, there's significance that it's bringing that point out. It's almost like the repetition of saying something three times when you're teaching it because you want them to get it. And so there's something in the text going on here that God is making a point through this book that we're supposed to get. Yep. I think that brings us to the point of theodicy. What does that mean? That's, so, a, that's a big word. <laughs> yeah, so theodicy, it's the view of God's justice offset with suffering. So how can God be just if people who are righteous are, are suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, it's, and we're really going to get into this a little bit later, but if you don't understand that from the beginning, mm -hmm. you're kind of going to be lost in the concept throughout yeah. the book. So look that one up, think about it a little more, and we're gonna jump into that specifically. I think it's week four or five, we're gonna yep. get really into that. So, so righteous people receive blessings, righteous people might receive suffering at the same time. Is that, are those good policies is what the challenger is saying. Now that's going to bring us into a question. Some would say that throughout this whole process in the book of Job, which we don't know where this takes place in the biblical timeline, we're gonna to get to that in a minute, but it takes place and what we see in ancient Old Testament is blessings tied in to righteousness. Mm -hmm. And at some point, we stop seeing that in the Bible. Yeah. In fact, it, it turns almost 180 degrees and today, health and wealth is almost a bad word when yeah. you put it that way because particularly the New Testament, most people would say doesn't teach that. No, if you look at Paul, I mean, it's almost, <laughs> the, opposite. almost the opposite. He says that you should expect suffering. So this is when you talk about Job, it's the elephant in the room that we have to talk about a concept of open theism. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, Matt? So it's the view that God is faithful, but his policies can change over time. Um, that. God isn't necessarily static, but he's a relational God. He's dynamic. He's yep. changing. He's listening. And, and prayer is one of the biggest yeah. things of open theism that why pray if God's not going to listen and perhaps change according to your prayers? Yeah. A good example is Exodus 32. Um, you yep. got Moses interceding when they make the golden calf and God spares the people when he wants to destroy them. Yeah. And it doesn't matter which side of the offense. I mean, yeah. I'd say the opposite of this is going to be your, your more reformed Calvinistic people that yeah. you can kind of look at that. Anthropomorphism. They say that God is um, talking through the Bible in a way that makes sense to us in, in human forms. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the other side. So you, and then you kind of have a, a middle ground as well. Yeah. So a little bit of both sides. But what's interesting about, particularly this policy, is it appears that the policy might actually get changed. Yeah, there and is so, evidence for it. Yeah, and so you look at that and you study it and there's, you look at the Old Testament in ancient times and you, you read 
prosperity tied to righteousness. Mm-hmm. You looked, let's just go to the New Testament rather than trying to figure out when this stops with the timing, but you go yeah. to the New Testament and that's not at all what it says. So it's it seems to be the policy of change. Now it's important to say that the character of God has not changed. Yeah, no. Yeah. But the idea or the relational entity by which righteousness is attributed seems to change throughout the scripture. Yeah, I could agree with that. So we've been talking about dating, and dating is really an important note. In fact, it's it's critical to a lot of the concepts in this in some ways, but not every way. The, the, the story doesn't change based no. on dating. So in some ways it doesn't matter, but what I like about the dating here is it brings out some really interesting theological points. And we're not going to get into all of those because I already made a video on the dating of Job, and so you can pick that up in the show notes and watch that if you want to get more into it. But Matt, you and I fall pretty close on, on the views of when this was written. Just t- tell us a little bit about your thoughts on it. So my thoughts are that, yeah, it's depicting Job living very early on the timeline, but I believe it's, it's written during the Second Temple period, so yep. between 586 and... 70. Yeah, and it's got oh. this kind of archaic writing, and when, oh, when yeah. you actually look at the Hebrew, like it's very ancient. Like I yeah. can hardly read it, and, yeah. and so it's it's kind of got this look, and it might be an older story passed over orally mm-hmm. through the ages or yep. something like that. It does have some concepts in there which are very Persian Greek influenced, yep. um, which wouldn't have been around in the time that Job was yeah. back around the patriarchs or earlier. I have a hard time putting it early at all. I mean, I read it and I see the the, the influence of the exile and things like that. Yeah. And you just, you know, the going with the wisdom literature, like we've already said, like the, the whole way that it's written kind of has that theme of, of bitterness and a little bit of, uh, let's say, poetic dialogue that point yeah. that way with the other mm-hmm. ones. Um, you have that reference to the Chaldeans and the Transjordian stuff and things like that. Yeah, and camels, which weren't um, right. domesticated in the area until much later. Yeah, exactly. So... To us, this isn't really much of a conversation. No, it, it's the, the only the only real argument here is that you could say that the story had been passed over for generations mm-hmm. and it was finally penned later, yeah. or perhaps there was some kind of writing that was destroyed during captivity and things like that and it was rewritten. Yeah. But you know, we we just when you actually get to the version that we have, the inspired version that we have, when was it written? It's hard to really place it any other time than, than that, in our minds anyway. Yeah. And so, especially when you look at the way it's contained in the Dead Sea Scrolls and you know mm-hmm. other things like that. So we don't want to get too much more into that. Watch the other video if you're interested in that and we'll kind of explain a little bit more in detail that way. All right, so the last question that we have to get to in the video today is, was Job a real person? It's a great question. So there's a couple different ways to look at this. Um, obviously, it's the inspired word of God. It's in the Bible that all of us use. And so there's not a lot of people that are going to question the actual story. The story is true and inspired. And whether where you land here, it really doesn't matter in the end. It's, it's, it's the message is truth. So do you believe he's a real person or do you not believe that he's a real person? There's, there's two different views on this. One is it's kind of more of a parable type of story. Um, maybe call it a mosaic or something like that, but but it's a story that is true, that was was written. And the main reason why people go this way theologically is because when you look at the nature of God, you have to ask the question, would God allow, or even more importantly, divinely do 
the things that this book talks about in chapters one and two. Would would God allow such terrible things to happen to people? And it almost some people almost look this as God's having a wager or playing a game yeah. or something like that. So when you when you get into this those things get problematic and you have to kind of source them a little bit and say, what are we going to do with this? So do you believe that God is going to do or use things that we think are bad in our, in our culture to do his goodwill? That's the question. And so when, when you're sourcing this, that's why some people would say this isn't necessarily a real story. God's not saying he's going, he does or will do that in the story. It's just kind of saying, if this was the most righteous person, you could do all these things. So kind of take it to the Good Samaritan story. It's it's a good correlation that way. Now, I personally don't really fall that way with it. I think that it explains that view if you're in that mindset. But I typically go more of the other way with it. I typically say that because this book is referenced um, in the Bible in at least two or three other places, and then you look into other places of antiquity, and it's mentioned as yep. well too, I'm pretty certain that this is a real story going on here and that what we're reading in the inspired word of God, that God put it together that way because it was real. Now, is the whole thing word for word exactly the way that it acted out? Now, you got to look at what's the genre of Job. We've talked about it being wisdom literature. It's Um, not a historical literature. No. I mean, when you look at other genres in the Bible, such as Apocalypse, like the book of Revelation, it uses pictures to to paint truths, like you talked about the mosaic. So I think both you and I might lean a a little bit more that way. We believe Job was, yeah, a real historical person, and the historical data points that way. But because it's wisdom literature, it's trying to teach us timeless truths, and this is the way that God had the book come to us to reveal truths about his character. Now, the other side of, of, of the story, again, I, I'll have to kind of bring out to kind of say that, you know, it's it's way more poetic. Oh, yeah. A lot of people think that. You know, Tennyson was one that said it's the greatest poem ever written. And so a lot of people put it that way. And there's, there's reasons for that, which we're not going to get way into, but one of them is numbers. You know, I alluded to that earlier, that the numbers in this book are just really profound. If you study numerology and put it all together and everything like that, it's very intriguing to just look at all this. And some people would say that had to have just kind of been written from a literary style because the ancient receptive audience, which is likely the Israelites here, would have understood the significance of those numbers. Were they exact in real life? I don't know. My my theory says that if, if God created the universe and can ordain and organize all the things that he did, then why can he organize a few numbers yeah. in somebody's life? So I don't really have a problem with, with any of that, but I look at it and I think that it's an amazing work, no matter how you preface it. And I don't get caught up in this one. No, me either. So take a look at this. This is an introduction. We have a lot of good things on the table. Next week, we're going to dive in even a little bit more and look at some of the questions that we just kind of opened the door for today. Um, If you have questions, leave it in the comments below, and we will seek to answer those questions in the weeks to come. May God bless you and keep you.